Uh, <clears throat> I don't do this very often, but uh, I'm gonna quote a guy here, uh, a couple of things from him. Not necessarily to put validity on what we're talking about, but uh, I wanted to uh, uh, read this because for one, I think his definitions are correct, second, and, and biblical, uh, but also to show that uh, this brother, uh, I believe he's a brother, um, this brother uh, obviously understood uh, the scriptural teaching of God and who God is in his sovereignty and his predestination of all things. Uh, and it's a guy that probably you wouldn't think, but um, I wanted to look at, at, at something this morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> I want to start reading in uh, Matthew chapter 6. I want to start reading in verse 25 here in a minute. But what I'd like to, <clears throat> maybe if the Lord allows this morning... I would like to put forth to you, and I, I mentioned that you know I wanted to do this as words of encouragement, and it is, and it may not sound like it, but if you stick with me, if the Lord helps me and brings out the thoughts that He laid upon my heart this morning, uh, I think you'll see there is encouragement in this. Uh, I have always said, no, I don't say always, I have for a long time said, uh, that whenever the Lord finally taught me God's predestination of all things, God's sovereignty over all things, that that became a comfort to me. Um, oftentimes I would struggle with a lot of things about God, about myself, about ministry, about the gospel, about everything. But whenever the Lord finally brought me to rest in his absolute predestination of all things, and I mean, when I say all things, I mean all things, not anything exempted. All things. And his sovereignty, meaning his power and control over all things, listen, that put my soul to rest more than, and when I hear people preach on that, whenever I hear that talk, whenever I read passages of scripture that teaches that, that brings my soul to rest. And whenever Malachi says, uh, I believe it's Malachi, uh, I may be wrong, correct me if I am, but whenever it says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, speaking to the Lord, uh, speaking to the people of what the Lord has done for them. Um, <clears throat> whenever I read that and it says, comfort them, I don't just think about the gospel. That's comforting to know that Christ has died for me and taken my sin. He has lived the perfect uh, obedience to the law for me, that is comfort. That is wonderful comfort. But also found in the comfort is the fact that God is controlling all things and He has determined all things and everything is going to the determined end and it's going to be exactly as God has purposed it from before the foundation of the world and it's going to be for His glory. And that is comforting to me. And so I thought I might look this morning and and talk about uh, that God's providence. That's a word that you know we talk about a lot, but you don't hear a lot anymore. You used to hear the word providence used a lot uh, in nominal churches out there. You know, you'd hear that word providence being used. You don't have, really hear that very much now. Older folks like me and 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 on up, you know, older than me. We're used to hearing that terminology, and even among people that doesn't believe in sovereign grace, the word providence was widely accepted by most people. I remember hearing the terms providence, God and his providences, is doing this and doing that and all like this. And the, and the term providence was equally used on, from Arminians and from uh, sovereign gracers. And there didn't seem to be any kind of issue of anybody saying, yeah, God is controlling everything and bringing everything about as he wills and everything like that. Now, how we get to how that happens comes from different places. But 
the, the fact remains that all of us still was acknowledging to some degree that God and everything that was going on was by providence bringing about a purpose, a plan, or something like that. Okay, So <clears throat> that term for most people seemed to be something that all of us can probably agree and say, yeah, we believe in God providentially bringing things about. Uh, now, some will say, well, he only brings certain things about, but not all things about. That's where we would differ, right? But the term in itself is where we kind of uh, all agree that there is a providence of God in his creation. Now, I propose that God's providence, and I'm going to define that here in a minute, uh, I want to read you what another man has to have another man has defined this, and I think he defined it perfectly. But I believe, and I believe the Scripture bears this out, and I hope by God's Spirit that this morning He shows us that in these passages that we are going to look at, that God's providence actually flows from His predestination of all things. That providence is tied to and is supported by and is actually fulfilled by God's providence. God's predestination of all things is brought about by His providence. That's God accomplishing, God working out, God doing what He said is going to be done. Now we know, and I don't think we need to talk very much about this, I think we all can agree that the Bible is very clear that there is no other God but God. Right? There's only one God. And that that God has revealed Himself as a God that is immutable. He doesn't change. He doesn't, he doesn't falter. He doesn't change. He, he is always the same. And that whatever He says, He doesn't lie. So there is this constant that is God. God is who He is and never is anything else than who He is. And that whatever God has said will come true and be as He said because He cannot lie. And God is never going to change from being that or changing from what He has said. He is immutable. Whether it be in His person or whether it be in His purpose, decree, and activity. He's immutable. It can't change. Therefore, Providence, if providence is what we think providence is, God bringing about His purpose, His plan, then that providence is God actually doing the work of bringing about what He has declared, decreed, I would use the term predestined, from before the foundation of the world, Him bringing that to be in time. He is bringing forth, bringing about, governing, working out all these phrases we can use, and I believe are biblical phrases that we can use, His purpose, His plan. So providence is closely, if not, I mean joined at the hip like conjoined twins, to predestination. Predestination is God telling what He's going to do. Providence is God doing what He said. And that's what... The difference is it's pretty much the same coin, two sides. God saying it, God doing it. Now, is that biblical? That's what we got to determine, Mike. Is what you're saying is just some theology thing that you pulled out of some, you know, uh, uh, theological book or some, you know, confession of creed or some man that you've listened to, or is this what the Bible teaches? And as with everything that we believe and everything that we teach and everything that we would put forth and preach and everything, if we don't have scriptural backing on that, then we need to shut up, sit down, not say it, and everything. But I believe, and I hope to be supported in scripture, that the absolute predestination of all things is shown by the fact that God in His providence is bringing it about. God cannot change. God doesn't deviate. God cannot be manipulated. Nothing is happening that God has not predestinated. Otherwise, it will not happen. So I hope that we can maybe see this. But let me give you a couple of definitions here this morning. As I said, I, 
I, I'm going to read this. I don't do this very often. I don't quote other people very often and everything because I think we need backing for what we're saying. We need to go to the scriptures and everything. Let that be our reason for believing. But I wanted to say this because I think this guy says it in a good way and I think there's actually biblical precedence for what he's saying. This comes from Webster's Dictionary and I actually pulled up and kind of looked this morning about Noah Webster because I really didn't know a whole lot about Noah Webster. I've never really looked into him. But as I was looking at a lot of his definition, especially in the older versions of, of the dictionary, as it got back closer to him where he actually put them out and everything, I began to see that, uh, man, this guy here, uh, I think this guy was a sovereign grace believer. Um, and then I did some research and found out that he actually was a, um, a congregationalist and that in that congregationalist uh, church, now we're congregationalists as far as our form of government of the church is a, is a congregational form of government, but we're not congregationalist churches. Congregationalist churches were Protestant churches and they were Calvinist churches. And, um, and so therefore... Uh, uh, there was a lot of difference in some things, especially in baptism. The Congregationalist churches still baptized infants uh, and everything. But um, they did believe in sovereign grace. So I was kind of uh, um, uh, uh, surprised to learn this about uh, uh, Noah Webster. But anyway, he said, uh, his definition, uh, whenever I pulled up uh, Providence, it said, in theology... The care and superintendence which God exercises over his creatures. He, and this is a statement that really blew me away that he made. <coughs> he that acknowledges a creation and denies a providence involves himself in a palpable contradiction. Now, that, at the surface level, you may think, I don't know what you're talking about, about that, but he's saying here, that if any, anybody claims to believe that God created, that there is a creator, and that that doesn't buy into the bull of the, uh, of, the, of the world, that everything was a big bang and everything evolved and all that kind of junk. That's science falsely called, right? <clears throat> anybody that believes in a creation but denies providence has placed themselves... In a contradiction. He goes on, he says, For the same power which caused a thing to exist is necessary to continue its existence. Now that is very profound if you think about it. He says, Some persons admit a general providence, but deny a particular providence. And I think that's where what I was talking about a while ago. We can agree on the word, but if if we start talking about the foundation from where that providence comes, or exactly how that providence is working out, then there's where we begin to divide ways. And this is what Webster was saying right here. He said there are some that believe in a general providence that God just generally is kind of controlling everything to keep things in play. And I've all you guys heard me use this illustration all the time, God's like a big goalie up there, and you know, every time the ball is about to go out, he kind of knocks it back into play, you know, anytime things are going <clears throat> out of order from what he wanted to happen, he kind of beats it back in the other direction, right, <clears throat> that's what Webster's saying here, there's some that believe in a general providence, but not in particular, individual, precise, exact providence, he doesn't hold to that if you're holding to the general, but he says, not considering that a general providence consists of particulars. If you believe in a general providence, then you've got to believe in a particular providence because all that general providence is made up of particulars. Let me give you an example, if not to get too far off here. Let me give you an example. I used to always say, remember, everybody used to always talk about in Romans 9, they said that election in Romans 9 is not talking about individuals but nations, God is, that God has elected nations. Well, nations are made up of people, are made up of individuals. So, yes, God is it's talking about people, not about nations. 
But it goes further than that because Paul is very clear in Romans line. That's talking about individual election. Not everybody being elected. Not a whole nation being elected. But he's down to the very individual because he even made precise that out of the same nation he elected some and not others whenever he talked about Esau and Jacob um, in that. Uh, so, but that's just an example of what he's meaning here. That within general providence are particular providences that God is bring, bringing about. It says, a belief in divine providence is a source of great consolation to good men. Now isn't that amazing? He thinks that to believe in divine providence is a source of comfort. It's a consolation to know that God is in charge and He's bringing about everything that's happening. He says, by divine providence is often understood God Himself. Now I thought, wow, that is, right. that is probably one of the best definitions of providence that I've probably ever, ever read by anybody. Uh, and I think that's correct. By divine providence, he says, is often understood God Himself. When we talk about providence, we're not talking about karma. We're not talking about some New Age force. We're not talking about some... Uh, you know, magnetism of the earth that causes people to act and react in different ways. We're not talking about the devil. We're not talking about anything. Whenever we talk about providence, that providence is bringing this about, it's not some fluffy thing that we're just saying. Whenever we say providence is carrying this out, we're saying God is carrying this out. The Lord gave Webster to define this exactly as the Bible has defined providence in the fact that you cannot separate providence from God and you cannot separate God's providence from His predestination. It's all tied together. <clears throat> now, let me give you the definition that Webster gave of predestination and I was awful actually surprised, number one, that he even defined predestination, that it was included in his, uh, in his uh, uh, dictionary, but especially the way he defined the word predestination. He defines predestination this way, the act of decreeing or foreordaining events, the decree of God by which he hath from eternity not from after Adam's fall. So this would make Noah Webster a superlapsarian in some regards, wouldn't it? From eternity, let me start again, the act of decreeing or foreordaining events, the decree of God by which he had, you don't have to worry about writing all this down, I'm going to give this to you when I'm done. You don't have to worry about writing every word of this, these quotes down, I'll give it to you. I keep seeing you <laughs> frantically writing, I'll let you have these. Uh, he says, the decree of God by which he hath from eternity unchangeably appointed or determined whatever comes to pass. Whatever comes to pass is providence. But yet that's defined in predestination. He's saying. He says, it is usually particularly in theology to denote the preordination. Now listen closely, brethren the preordination of men to everlasting happiness or misery. He is preaching reprobation here. That God has predestinated not only the elect to salvation, but also those for misery or for reprobation. Three cheers for Daniel Webster. Or Noah Webster, not Daniel. Noah Webster. He says predestination is a part of the unchangeable plan of the divine government. Or in other words, the unchangeable purpose of an unchangeable God. Now brethren, that right there is definitions that I can wholeheartedly say amen to. Because I believe that's found in Scripture. Now, what he said about that, about providence and predestination... There are some issues among, especially among uh, old school Baptists like us. 
Because there are some old school Baptists who say, well, God predestinated just salvation, but doesn't predestinate and providentially order every single event that takes place of everything. You know, I've often said that grass out there, that leaf that's flittering on the tree, you know, God's predestinated that to to not only blow at that specific time and that leaf to shake at that particular uh, uh, wavelength that it's wa- that is shaking at, oscillating at, the color of that leaf, the leaf that falls down on the ground exactly where it falls, I believe God's predestinated every bit of that. And I know people are going to say, well, that's crazy. You're kind of going overboard with that. I believe that God has predestinated absolutely everything. So whenever I say absolute predestination of all things and I exempt nothing, I exempt nothing. Larry wore that gray shirt or bluish shirt there that he's he's wearing. God predestinated him to wear that today. Is what I believe. Some people say, "Well, that's just that's that's nuts." Well, okay, you might think I'm nuts, but go right ahead, whatever you believe. But does the Bible tell us that? Does the Bible speak of these things? And if providence, as I hope we see this morning, as providence shows that God is in fact, bringing about every small, minute detail, if that providence is tied in with his predestination, then that means that God has predestinated all things. So look with me at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start reading at verse 25. It says, Therefore I say unto you, Jesus speaking here, Take no thought of your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Now that's getting down to pretty simple things, right? What you eat, what you drink. Now I know we all here, everybody here, if we're all alike, if your family's like my family, it's all this. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Wherever you want to eat. What do you feel like eating? Anything? Well, how about this? No, I don't want that. Well, why'd you say anything? You know? <clears throat> Where do you want to go? It don't matter. You know? Well, let's go over here. Why? Well, I really don't want to eat there. Well, why'd you say it? it don't matter? Okay? We think about those things. You know? What are we going to eat this week? I don't know. Minute things, really, in the scheme of things. We all know we're going to eat something. We all know we're about to eat, go eat wherever, right? What we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. Yeah, we get up and we look in our closet and say, well, what shirt am I going to wear today? What am I going to do here, you know? Hardly ever do we just reach in the closet, grab something, and put on whatever comes out. You know, we, we kind of have a little bit of thought process. I'm gonna, I want to wear that. Well, I know that that doesn't go with that. I'm not going to wear that. Well, I don't like how I look in that. We have some sort of a thought process in what we do, right? But what we're saying here, what the Lord is saying here, is in your life, don't worry about what you're eating and drinking and what you're wearing. He says there's more important things to think about than that. But he goes on to say here, he says, Behold, the fowls of the air... For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Is that not providence? God is watching over His creation. He is sustaining His creation. He is making sure that they are taken care of. He is making sure that everything is happening according as He has planned. And He's saying here, look, even the fowls of the earth, things you don't even think about. We sit here every morning, me and Lori, and we're drinking coffee and we're looking out this window and we see have been seeing these squirrels running back and forth across these trees and they'll come down and they'll gather up an acorn and they'll run and go back over here and then the minute they'll come down, grab another one, they'll come up and they'll, they're just all over the place and the birds picking up twigs and doing all things to build their nests and they're just all the time, they're out here constantly moving and you know, we take notice of that because we sit and watch out the window and look at these things. We take notice of that stuff. But for the most part, that's just an insignificant thing of the creation that nobody really pays attention to. You know? Somewhere out there in the woods, there's deer just frolicking around. I have no idea where they are, what they're doing, and how they're doing it. But yet, somebody is. 
just like these birds. The Lord has actively involved in the fowls of the air not having to sow or reap or gather into barns because God is bringing that about in them. Do not the fowls of the air sow? Well, no, they're not out there tilling a garden and planting deals, but God has provided everything they need to eat right out there. Do they reap? Well, they're not going out and harvesting like a farmer would harvest, but yet they are going out there and God has provided and brought in food for them to eat. Wherever they are out there finding this food, God has provided that worm to come out of the ground at the exact same time so that bird could see it to come down and snatch that worm up and eat it. Or a grasshopper to happen to jump from one tree to one limb to one flower to one whatever, jumping all over the place, and then all of a sudden be in just the right spot that that bird sees it and comes and snatches that grasshopper. If it says right, if, if God is, if Christ is intending what he's saying, I'm the one who's feeding these birds. I'm the one who is making sure that they, they don't have to sow, they don't have to reap, they're not toiling over everything. What, what's going on here? I'm providing for them. He said, and these are just birds. These are just things. What about you, my people? What about you? I'm providing everything that you have need of. That's what he's saying here. He says, and he even says it, look at verse 26. He says, are ye not much better than they? You're my children. <laughs> You're my children. Think about that. I'm providentially bringing about everything that you need. Not just clothes. We're going to see that. Not just clothes. Not just food. <coughs> but everything that you have need of. Now, I'm going to say this at the outset of this. What Jesus is saying here, he's talking about physical things like food and clothing. But I believe there's a spiritual side to that as we always talk about. For the child of great, because listen, I think all of us in here could also say this. Have we also had times where we've been down to the to the to the nubs and, and not had food and man, I don't know what we're gonna do. Then there's listen, there's been a few times in our life that Lori literally I think it was like the five loaves and two fishes. How in the world did she pull out a week's worth of food with what we had in there and everything until I got paid again? How did she multiply that? The Lord has done a miracle here. If I was a Catholic, I probably would set up an altar or something back there. and You know, but uh, there's been times that we have been in want necessarily in the physical. But brethren, we never will be without food spiritually. We'll never be without drink spiritually. We will never be a, uh, without clothing, righteousness spiritually. Those spiritual things God is always going to provide for us. But let's go on. Look at verse 27. It says, Which of you by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature. Does anyone know what a cubit is? A cubit? It's a measurement. You know how long it is? We don't use that terminology, do we? A cubit is the distance between the joint of your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. It's usually around 18 inches. After, after services is over today, you all go measure your Measure yourself and see what, what it measured out to be. But normally it's around 15, 18 inches, something like that. Okay. Anyway, that's a, a cubit is a measurement, right? Can add one cubit unto his stature. So Jesus here is saying, listen, there isn't any of y'all with worrying or thinking or pondering or doing anything can add one cubit to his stature. Now, at this point... Jesus, there's a parallel verse here. Look with me if you would. Keep your place there in Matthew. Look with me in Luke 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And look down at verse uh, 26. Now, 
this is the same uh, situation that we're reading in Matthew, right? It's just Luke's account of that. And Luke adds something uh, to his uh, uh, testimony of what was happening that Matthew didn't. He says in verse 26, If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Okay, so that comes right after him talking about adding a cubit to your stature. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you can't even do the thing that is least, listen, it doesn't matter really that much what whether or not we are uh, this tall or that tall or however tall. That That's least important as far as food and water and clothing. I mean, I'd rather have food, water, and clothing than be really tall. Okay? Adding cubit to my stature... You know, I'm I'm six foot, six foot one. You know, would it be nice to be maybe six foot five? With this weight that I have, I'd like to be like seven two, and I'm kind of even out, my, even out my weight a little bit, maybe, not make me look so portly. But um, <clears throat> that's really least in the consideration of food and water and clothing. But Jesus here says, If then ye are not able to do that thing which is least, make yourself taller. Why take ye thought for the things that are even more important? Food, water, and clothing. Right? He says, I am going to provide those things for you. If you can't do that yourself, don't worry because I'm going to take care of those things. Verse 28, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Now, what's this talk about here? Well, we're talking about clothing now. The Lord said, don't worry about what raiment you have. He says, consider the lilies of the field. Now, as I was studying this, I looked and I seen that the lilies uh, of the field, we have a certain flower that we call a lily, Right? Well, whenever this was written and everything, the term lilies was just a general term given to flowers. And they could have been different flowers, different looks of flowers, different colors of flowers. Uh, but notice what he says here. It, he didn't say, and if you look, it says, consider the lilies of the field. We're not talking about in a potted plant that Lori has here in the house or out there in, on the deck or anything. That she's planted herself, you know, we go to the store and say, well, hey, I want a red lily. And so we go and we buy a red lily and bring it back and sit it out there. Or we buy the seed that we know is going to grow up red lily and we plant that seed. Boom, here comes the red lilies, right? This is talking about out there in the wild. <coughs> he said, these are the lilies out there in the wild. They may be red, they may be white, they may be yellow, they may be green, they may be purple, whatever color that they come up with, they may be anything. But each individual lily that's out there, he's saying right here, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Each one of them has been determined in the providence of God. He has brought forth whatever the color that they are. They don't have to worry. It says here they don't have to toil, labor, or spin. That's how they used to make clothes back then. They used to spin clothes. You've heard of what was the story of the um, uh, of the girl that got her finger pricked and went went to sleep. Rapunzel? No, that, Rapunzel is a long hair. Sleeping Beauty? No, not Sleeping Beauty either. Uh, was it Sleeping Beauty that was making the clothes at the spinning wheel? Okay, well, I got my stories mixed up. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that's how they make clothes. They would they would spin that cotton, spin that thread, and they would make those clothes. That's what the Lord is saying here. Listen, these lilies are clothed with their color and their beauty, and they don't even have to worry about it. The Lord in His providence is is doing that. Now, brethren, these are insignificant things. The color of a flower, the bird eating, the bird nesting. These are insignificant things. These are minute things. These aren't even talking about life and men becoming evil and wicked and doing wars and, and, and building Ephesus to worship God and whatever the cases might be that's happened. We're not, talk, we're not even getting into the things of man 
We're talking about the birds. We're talking about the flowers. We're talking about the created things that doesn't have an eternal soul. And Christ is saying, listen, God's providence is bringing about everything for these and sustaining them. He says in verse 29, And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, meaning it has no significance. The grass has no significance. Look out there. That grass is brown over there. It's still green right in there. Who made that brown and made that green? Well, you say, well, that's just the natural order of things. The sun, it's winter time. There's no green in the grass. That grass is a different kind of grass. Therefore, it has, okay, well, who made that grass to be the grass that turns brown at this time of year and that grass to be grass that stays green? Who made that? Well, whoever was here just kind of played, well, okay, where did they get that seed? If they planted that, then how did they get there? And if it didn't get there by planting and just got there, somehow the wind had to blow it in, in to make that grass be there. So if the wind blew that there, how, who brought the wind that picked up the sea at some place that carried it along on gusts of wind that dropped right there? How did it get there? Well, according to the scripture, the Lord said, I'm the one that did that. Now, is that not insignificant? Is God's providence over all things? Well, if it's over those things, He is saying here, if God is actively involved in those things, then what about you? Who are much higher, much more important than those things? Because He says here, the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is cast into the oven. Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whether withal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So brethren, here I believe the Lord is showing us that God is intricately involved in every little detail in His providence. Now, we just learned a while ago that providence is God bringing forth by His own actions the very things that he has predestinated. But again, is Mr. Webster correct in his definition? Is this providence tied to predestination? And is that found in the Bible? Well, turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48. Look down with me, if you would, to verse 3. I think most of y'all know kind of where we're going here in some of these passages. Isaiah 48 and verse 3. Here is the Lord speaking again. This is what God says. The unchangeable, immutable God. He says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. And they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. Now, he's saying here that he has declared the former things. So from this point, all the things that has happened up until this time, I have declared these things. They went forth out of my mouth that I was going to do them. Right? But look what it says. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. So all the things that had happened formerly, before this point, the Bible says that the Lord had declared them, spoke them, said what was going to happen, and that He was the one that brought all those things that was said and declared to happen. 
It wasn't the natural order that brought these things to happen. It wasn't as the open theists say that God just kind of uh, created everything and spun it all out and just kind of let it go and now everything is working by natural orders. No. Everything that God has declared of the former things that has happened from this point back all came to be, came to pass, as it says right there, by Him. He did them suddenly. That word suddenly means that He did them when He wanted them to happen. It didn't come by men's actions of making it happen. It came on suddenly, meaning that it came at His appointed time. It came whenever He declared it to take place. Not by man's invention, not by man's procurement, not by man's working and slaving and doing whatever to make this happen. Not because God looked at had a purpose and some guy did something and now he had to deviate his cause and now this thing has come to pass. No, everything that has happened of the former things happened because God declared them that this is what is going to happen and then actively by His providence has brought them to pass. Now that's what the Bible says. He brought them to pass. He did then. Now you're, you could go back there and say, well, oh, that was the Amorites that did that. Oh, that was the Canaanites that did all that. That was the Israelites that did this. And because they didn't do this, that's happened and this happened. All these causes and all these effects are all happening. And that's what's causing all this. God said, I did that. Someone could say, well, David numbered the people in God punished him. Well, it wasn't David that did that. That was Satan that did that. Well, the Bible says that God made David do that. But then he turned around and he punished David for doing that. And so God says, I did that. I brought that to pass. I declared that and I brought it to pass. You could probably say, well, Joseph being sold into slavery, you know, thrown into that pit, treated like dirt by his brothers, sold into slavery, all that stuff that took place, all that was natural causes that happened because of the cause of his brothers throwing him into the... God says, you meant all that for evil, but I meant that. Not that I turned that around to good, I meant that for good. So the evil of everything that happened to Joseph with him and his brothers... That was God's providence of bringing about something that He had declared. Because if He had not declared it, it would not come to pass because everything that He has declared that has been former came from His declaration. Came from His speaking. And it came to pass. If it came to pass, it came to pass because He declared it. His providence is tied to His predestination. If He has predestinated it, He will bring it to pass. If it has not been predestinated, it will not come to pass. And if it has been predestinated, it will come to pass. And if it's come to pass, it's come to pass because He predestinated it. If it doesn't come to pass, it's because He didn't predestinate it. You're just saying, well, whatever will be, will be then, right? No, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Whatever will be, will be exactly the way that God has predetermined it to be. Not by what chaos determines. That's the difference between fatalism and sovereignty. Fatalism says that whatever will be, will be, and chaos rules the day, fate rules the day, chance rules the day, but God has ordered all things sure. God has determined all things and is actively controlling all things so that all things, including the color of that grass, to his predestinated ends for his glory. It's happening exactly as he wants. So we see here that everything in the former things from that point, from the beginning, went forth out of my mouth. I showed them, I did them suddenly, and they came to pass exactly as I had declared them. But turn back a chapter, if you would, to Isaiah 46. We see a little bit more detail here given. Isaiah chapter 46. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. Remember the former things of old? 
Okay, so now we're talking about the former things again. Remember the former things of old? For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Now, before he gets into talking about all this predestination and providence stuff, he's reminding everybody who he is. I am God. And remember, if you remember back whenever we uh, talked about and preached on uh, that phrase, I am, whenever God gave his name to Moses about I am, and he said that this is the my name, uh, that for you to declare this my name to all generations as a memorial. God's memorial to all generations is not God is love, but his memorial to all generations is that God is who he is. He is the I am. It, God is sovereign over all things, that he is in control and he will do what he will do. That's God's memorial to all generations is his sovereignty. And he says, remember the former things of old. For, for, or because I am God and there is none else, I am God and there is none like me. Nobody can change the course of history. Nobody can change the course of time. Nobody can change anything in this world or bring anything to be in this world. I am the only God. I am the only creator. I am the only declarer. I am the only sovereign. I am the only providential there is none like me. Men do not make providence of their own. God determines all things and brings it to pass. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Also, now we've seen the former things, but now God has also declared everything from the end. So let's go all the way to the very end of all things, wherever that may be, whenever that may be, however much that is involved in between those thing, these time periods, go to the very, very end of it all, and God says, I have declared that from the beginning and from ancient times, not only the things that has already happened, but what has He declared? Y'all are reading it there with me. What does it say? The things that are not yet done. Well, how does God know the things that are going to happen? Is he a fortune teller? Hmm? A soothsayer? God's got the extra long binoculars to look down the corridor of time to see what men would do, and therefore he writes it down and declares it to happen? No, that's not him declaring what would happen. That is him recording what would happen. If God looks down with foresight or foreknowledge, as men define foreknowledge, if God looks down time in foreknowledge, foresight, and sees what is going to happen, that is not declaring it, that is recording it, reporting what will happen. God has reported from the beginning of the world what will happen. No, it says here that He has declared what will happen. Things that are not yet done, God has already declared them. He has declared those things which are not as though they were. And I include justification in all that, by the way. <laughs> he has declared that from the beginning. All things is His declaration. And everything from the declaration, from the mind of God and His declaration, is the bringing it forth in time by providence, and the Bible specifically says that He is the one that is bringing it to be. And everything is tied together in this creation. Larry got here because of a van that he drove that somehow he bought at some point in time from some money he got from somewhere, from some person that already had that car, got in that car and drove here today. Providence brought every bit of that around so that he's sitting right there today. Now, I can't keep track of all that stuff. Nobody can keep track of all that stuff. Can you imagine being the person that has to keep track of everything that is happening in every molecule of every little thing that's going on? Brother, the only one that can do that is God, and yet we think that we can control things, right? We think that we have a control of everything, that we've got it all under control 
My free will needs to be free so that I can control my destiny. I can control my... Do you see how futile free will is? Even if you did have free will, you can't do nothing. You can't do nothing. You can't control nothing. Free will is insignificant. Everybody makes free will so paramount. You know what's more comforting to me? Not that I have free will. But there's somebody that's controlling all this stuff out here and bringing it to a, a purpose. That's bringing it to an actual purpose, not chaos, but bringing it to a purpose. And it's not an evil purpose. He's bringing even that evil stuff that's happening is a purpose that is coming to a glorified end of Him. <laughs> that is comfort to me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done, saying, <clears throat> My counsel shall stand. God's providence comes about from His counsel. <coughs> Excuse me. But what did it say? My counsel shall stand. So everything that God has counseled, from eternity past. And we know that that is the determinate counsel of God is from the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world, before anything ever happens, that the counsel of God is His purpose, His will, His determination. That's what His counsel is. If you go to a, uh, if you go to a lawyer, somebody, and you take counsel from them, what are you doing? You're going to them and they are determining your course of action on what you should do. If I go to a lawyer about an issue, he tells me, well, knowing what the law says, knowing what you've done, knowing what this has happened and all like this, this is the course of action you should take. He is determining this is what you ought to do. He gives me that counsel. And then I either do that or I don't do that. It either stands or it doesn't stand. But here we see that God's counsel shall stand. Whatever God has predetermined to do in His own predeterminative wisdom will be carried out and it will stand. The course of action that God has declared and decreed is going to happen. That's why we're not running around here like chickens with our head cut off trying to get to every single country, every single person because we're afraid that there are many going off into hell and not going to be saved because we're not doing enough to get out there and reach them. No, not one person is ever going to be in hell that Christ died for, that God is not before the foundation of the world, loved with an everlasting love and give to Christ Jesus their surety and put them in bonded union with, them, with Him and given them all things in Him. They can't be lost. Not one. So God's predestination, God's counsel is being brought forth by His providence. Look what it says. My counsel shall stand. What does it say? I will do all my pleasure. I will do. It didn't say I will give you to do. He said I will do. So you're talking about you don't believe in means? Do I believe in second causes? Absolutely I do. But the first cause for everything is always God because He has decreed it, declared it, counseled it, and by His providence is bringing it about. <clears throat> Did God want Larry to get here today? Yes. Otherwise He wouldn't be here today. Or Mark or Rosette. They wouldn't be here today. How did God do that? Well, by the means of that van that he bought with that money that he got from somewhere, from some guy that had that van who had built that van or brought that van from some place that built that van. But it was God who did all of that and brought those things to be, to come to pass exactly at the point he wanted it to come to pass so that Larry is here today and his whole family. Same thing with Daniel. How did Daniel get here? Well, Zach went and picked him up from his apartment. All by the determinate counsel of God. Otherwise, he wouldn't be here. Because God's counsel shall stand. And all the former things, and everything the end from the beginning, the Bible says God has declared, and shall come to pass. 
Look at verse 11. God gets into specifics here. Calling a ravenous bird from the east. That's pretty insignificant, isn't it? What is a ravenous bird? What would we call a ravenous bird? A vulture? Maybe a hawk? You know, you see, going down the road, you see all these birds gathered around eating these dead animals at the side of the road. Okay? God calling a ravenous bird from the east to come and eat a, eat a dead thing. How did that vulture know there's dead something over there? God provided not only the dead animal, but put it within the vulture to circle around to the place where he saw the thing and came down and started eating it. That's pretty insignificant. But the Bible here says God, he's tying that, if I'm not an idiot, God is tying that to his declaring the end from the beginning. And all things that have not yet been done, and his counsel, and it is standing. And obviously that was his pleasure, otherwise he wouldn't be doing it, right? Calling the ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country. Yeah, I've spoken it. He's declared it. He's pronounced it. You want to use the word decreed it. I've spoken it, but brethren... He didn't just leave it to be, to happen. He says, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do that. You cannot separate providence from predestination. Look back another couple of chapters. Chapter 44. In Isaiah chapter 44, look if you would with me down to verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. So God, once again, is reminding us of His Godness, if you'd allow me that. He's reminding you of who He is. And also in this verse, you notice that He has tied Christ into this as well. Christ is God. Manifested in the flesh. If you speak of the Father, you speak of the Son. They are one. You speak of the Spirit of God, you speak of Christ because they're one. You speak of the Father and speak of the Spirit, you're speaking of Christ. You speak of the Word, you're speaking of Christ. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells within Him bodily. He is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the first and the last, yet here it says, Thus saith the Lord, I am the first and the last. This word Lord is referring to Jehovah. It's referring to the I Am. And it's saying here that Christ, or that the I Am is the first and the last. But yet in Revelation we learn that Jesus, the man, Jesus Christ, is the first and the last. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And he says, and who as I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. So he's saying here, who in the world can come and declare something and bring something about out of anybody you've ever met? There's nobody that can do that. I'm the only one that can do that. I have appointed everything. I have declared everything. And everything shall come as I have ordered it. Brethren, we see the Bible says that God has a will or a pleasure. If God has a will to do something, then that will to do something becomes a purpose. A purpose comes from a willing to do something. You know? We say, man, that man moves with purpose. Well, why? Because that man has something in his mind that he wants to get done, and he gets it done. Why? Because he wills to do so. He's moving with purpose. He's not just flailing around here. 
No, he's moving with purpose. Why? I've got an intent to do something. I've got a, a plan to do something. I've got a desire to do something. Well, the will of God, the purpose of God, is tied together. God's purpose comes from His will or His pleasure, as we've seen a minute ago. That purpose then plays out in a declaration or a decree. God declares what will be done. God decrees from before the foundation what His purpose is, and that purpose has come from His will, His desire, His, His pleasure. And that declaration or that decree becomes predestination. Because whatever it said, remember what it said? As I have spoken, that shall it also be done. Whatever I have spoken is going to come to pass. Whatever I have said, whatever my counsel, a counsel is something that you speak to another about what should be done or what will be done. My counsel shall stand. God's declaration and decree, when God decrees it or declares it, then it becomes predestinated, meaning it cannot falter or waver because He is the I Am. He is the one that does not change. He is the first and the last. Listen, He doesn't become the last when it gets to the last. The Bible declares Him to already be the last before He is. It goes along with what Brother uh, uh, Larry was saying earlier. It's, it's just mind-boggling to us that God is eternal and outside of what we know is time and constrained in this time frame because what is already happening in the end, whenever that's going to happen, God's already there knows what's happening. But He knows what's happening because He has declared it. But He's also self-existent in the fact that He doesn't exist during our time. He exists outside of time. And this time is just crunched into that eternal whatever. It's more than I am. It's more than I can comprehend. It's higher than I am. It's more than my thoughts can comprehend. God is above me. And I can't understand it. I can't declare it, decree it. I can't do any of those things. And I surely can't explain it. But God has declared all things, the end from the beginning. Obviously, He knows the end. Why? Because He has declared it. If He's declared it, then that means if He has declared something, that He has purposed it. And if He has purposed it, that was His pleasure. It was His will. And the unchangeable God will not change, neither will His, decree, uh, his pleasure change, nor will His dec decree, declaration change. And if that doesn't change, then His predestination doesn't change. And if his predestination doesn't change, neither does his providence, because his providence is him bringing about everything that shall come to pass. What shall come to pass? His declaration. Well, what's his declaration? His purpose. Well, what's his purpose? What his will is. Whatever his will is. That's why we pray, thy will be done. If thy will be done, then that means whatever you have purposed in that will is going to be done. And whatever you declared of that purpose shall be done. And whatever you have declared is predestinated to happen. And if it's predestinated to happen... Providence is going to bring it about. And who's going to do the providential bringing it about? We just read it. He is. So brothers, I take comfort in God's predestination of all things and His providence in bringing it about. You can say, you're just living a life of Kesarah, Sarah. Or you're just living a life of whatever will be, will be. You're just apathetic to all things. No, brethren, the Bible uses a term that we just kind of throw out there a lot, often, and don't even think about it. But the Bible calls it rest. We rest. We rest. We not only cease from our working and labor in trying to gain God's acceptance and approval, but we also rest in His promise that He's going to bring about everything that He has said He's going to bring about, that He's going to do, that He's going to handle, He's taking care of, and everything is moving, and everything is moving into the glorified end of Christ Jesus. Wars, famine, pestilence. What's the other one? There's four of them. All death. Evil, sin, 
all these things that are so negative that nobody likes and nobody wants and nobody wants to talk about. All these things, yep, from the beginning of the world, God has predestinated all those things to bring forth the glorification of His Son, Jesus Christ. You can't say it. You can't say that's not true. We know from Scripture that Christ is going to be glorified. That at His name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Revelation tells us that there's going to be a throne and on that throne there's going to be a king that's going to sit on that. And what are they going to be shouting? Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. For He hath redeemed us with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There has to be sin for there to be remission. And there can't be sin without a sinner. And there can't be a sinner without somebody who does the sinning. Therefore, Adam, the first man, brought in sin and death and all evil that came with it. But God predetermined that from the foundation of the world. And He predetermined that. Why? Because Christ stood as the Lamb slain before Adam was even created or even thought about plucking that thing from the tree and eating of it when He knew He shouldn't have. God predestinated Christ to be the Lamb slain. The first... And the last. He is the first lamb slain and He is the lamb slain at the end. At the very beginning of time before anything was, He stood as the lamb and whenever we get to the end of all things that God has predestinated and providentially brought about including all sin and evil, that lamb slain is still going to be there being the glorified one and He's going to be glorified because sin, evil, and all kinds of things including good things have happened. Because everything that God has declared from the end, declared to the beginning, was for the purpose of glorifying His name. That's why we are excited about sovereignty. Excited about predestination. Excited about all the things that we are always castigated about. Making God the author of sin. You're making God the author of sin. Praise God. He has declared everything including sin and is controlling it. Because it's bringing about His purpose for His glory. If God didn't do those things, then that means sin and evil is existing outside of His control, outside of His declaring and thought and, and understanding of things, that it's happened willy-nilly out of nowhere, then that means that God is not sovereign in those areas. And if He's not sovereign in those areas, how do we know that those areas can't rise up and take over God? Brother we. We truly believe God is absolutely sovereign and has absolutely predestinated all things. Anybody got anything you want to add? Any corrections or rebukes? Challenges about anything? I pray that's been a comfort to you. I pray that that has been something that uh, has been a point of joy for me. But uh, anyway, well, all right. Nobody has anything? That's perfect. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your grace you've given us once again in Christ and your control over all things. We thank you, Father, that you have brought us here today and gathered us together and we pray, Lord, that you'll be with us for those who are having to drive back home, Lord, that you give them safety uh, for my family as we drive back and forth to Oklahoma and the things that are going on with all of our cars and stuff, Lord. We know that all those things are by your control and by your providence and, Lord, even though in our flesh we get irritated and, and upset when things don't go the way we want them to go. But ultimately, Father, we bow the knee to know that all things are according to your purpose and your will. And so we just pray today, Lord, that you would glorify yourself in us as we not only worship you, but as we go from this place and as we live the lives that you have brought us to live, the things that you have brought in, into our lives and everything that we experience through those lives, Father, that we might give you glory and praise. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.